And then uh, we were met by this herd of longhorn cattle who just, they're all quite young. So they just stood in the road looking at us. We're trying to edge around them. They're trying to follow us. And it all got a bit hairy for a while. Uh, but eventually we succeeded. Um, and then it was just a long day, just trying to get some miles. Hey, up, peddlers. I've got a big one for you today. This is Rupert and Cavan. And these guys did the Trans Arbor Road bikepacking race up in Scotland uh, about a week ago. And I was super keen to get on a call with them and just find out kind of what went down, you know. These are two friends from back home as well. So I was super keen to catch up and just hear about their experience. This is the first time they've ever done a race like this as well. And I'm also mega interested in this whole industry that's kind of growing this bikepacking world. Um, I'm super keen to talk to loads of people about it as well. And the more I kind of hang out and talk to people in this kind of world, the more I kind of learn about what's going on. So have a listen, let me know what you think. And also if you're about to do an epic bike packing race yourself or you've done one, uh, give me a shout. Um, I'm super keen to talk to people about this whole world of riding a bike. Uh, it's super fun, super interesting, and I'll be keen to talk. So enjoy the show. Yeah, uh, my name's Cav. Um, worked with Rupert for many years before he moved on to Fresh Pastures. Um, so we kind of done a lot of riding together uh, before, but nothing on this scale. Um, and having done a number of events uh, in the in the UK overseas, it just felt like the time was right to push the boundaries a bit. Um, Transcon's been going for a few years. This one just felt logistically a little bit easier to to get involved with um in terms of getting there no real language issues um and just felt like it was a more doable option from my point of view um spoke to rupert um happened just to mention the event and next thing i know we'd signed up okay so it was your idea then uh guilty yep i didn't even look at the course when, yeah, I'll do that. That was pretty much how it. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the root I know. Who <laughs> <laughs> needs a root profile, eh? Um, so, so how long did you have to, to, until you kind of went actually did the race? So, was it like a year before you actually um, did the race when you signed up to it? Uh, probably oh. wasn't far off. It's probably about eight months or so, because um, you had to apply. Because I think they were just making sure that being the first edition that people who signed up weren't just looking for something different. They had done some sort of, you know, mileage before, so they weren't taking on newcomers, et cetera. Um, so yeah, once we found out it was late sort of last year, um, which gave us plenty of time to discuss kit, finalize our lineup and do some training. About to prove what we've done leading up to that you know, races or big rides. Yeah. And then to sort of vet us based on what we've said we've done. What do you guys do in terms of preparing? Like when, when do you actually start like uh, thinking about your gear and thinking about the actual uh, training and what, what, what training do you even, even do? Because, I mean, you're both pretty, pretty fit guys. You both ride pretty, uh, pretty decently over the, over the weeks and stuff. So what do, you, what do you think about? Well, I think from both our point of views, um, I mean, mine slightly different from Rupert races. Um, so I do a lot of commuter miles and sportifs, et cetera, but this, 
is kind of sportive times seven in a row, really, which is not something I've done before. Um, but, you know, who doesn't like an excuse to talk about bikes, bike kits? Um, so there was quite a lot of research done, quite a lot of discussion about, have you seen this? Does, does this work? Seeing what other people have done before, we've got a few mates who've done things like uh, the Transcon from a couple of years ago. So it's a case of picking brains, uh, seeing what we already had, um, and trying to pull together kit lists that we thought would be doable. I, mean, I think we decided fairly early on that we weren't going to do the the bivvying stuff because one, it's Scotland in July, which could mean a lot of midges, um, and as we found out, quite a lot of rain, um, and it's just more stuff to carry, which we didn't really fancy at the time. So, about you, Rupert? Well, we we I decided with Cav that. Sleeping rough probably wouldn't be the best bet because we'd be too grumpy if we didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> and we didn't get enough sleep anyway, but the fact that if we, we had to bivy down, I didn't fancy making the bike any heavier than it was with all the stuff to carry a tent or, or a bivy bag. We had an emergency bivy, you know, a bivy and then a sleeping okay. bag and, and et cetera. And there were people that were doing that and they were so fully loaded that I was just chuckling inside. <laughs> thinking, I don't know how they're going to manage some of the climbs, and we found out yeah. with the weight we had on the bike. Exactly. I mean, in terms of preparation for for riding, we did a long weekend uh, where we rode down to, well, almost got to Exeter, uh, and then rode back the following day, and then we did another long day uh, in the final weeks before the Trans Alba, um, mainly just to get used to riding fully loaded. Um, and then the second one day one we did was just to make sure that with our kit list almost finalised that how it felt on the bike and try and get used to it really. Yeah. So give us a quick rundown of the the, the kit then. Uh, it's pretty basic. So from from my point of view, it was two sets of shorts, um, two jerseys, uh, rain jacket which came in very handy, um, a high vis gilet um for on the bike so we had a set of gloves full finger and mitts uh socks uh we managed to to get some shoes and helmets from some specialized for the for the event quite good so we matched um and then some stuff for off the bike so literally just a pair of shorts and a t-shirt uh arm and leg warmers and then spares for the bike really um so obviously tubes brake cables a few other bits and pieces um because it, the, the thing we wanted to do is try and keep the weight down to a minimum so saddlebag frame bag um and then a couple of feed bags to make sure that we could sort of keep eating while we're while we're riding and that was pretty much it on both bikes wasn't it yeah it didn't sound a lot but it certainly weighed a lot <laughs> and um at first i thought we wouldn't carry too many punch uh too many tubes i had eight punches in the course of the first few days so we were quite pleased to be carried extra tubes yeah. and the stuff fixed. I mean, the bikes were in good nick. They're all, yeah. you know, pretty newish. We had good kit, but um, some of the weather put us out a bit when we yeah. punctured and and that that was Well, even the fact that the the frame bags were waterproof, but we had that much rain, even they. Uh, leaked a bit, so we had to sort of wipe those out, and then obviously wipe all the kit down inside. Um, so much so, I had a battery pack that I was using that got wet, 
and then refused to work. Luckily, we had one each, uh, and I had a Dynamo charger. So, yeah, it's things like that that you can't really legislate for. You're trying to sort of preempt anything that might happen. Uh, but as it happened, that didn't factor in any of our training rides, but they're all dry. So you kind of live and, and learn a little bit on the ride. What was your kind of plan? Because if you didn't do the bivvy thing, that means you, I imagine you're probably not thinking you can't just pull over wherever you feel like it. Um, so did you have like a plan for places to stay and then how many kilometers you're going to do, miles and things like so that? I, I worked out, I thought we could do it in a week and we could do 150 miles a day. So I figured that we could easily ride a 15 mile an hour because that was in theory quite slow to what we normally rode. And then if we did 150 over seven days, we could do it. We could do it fine. Book the first two nights accommodation in advance because you're allowed to do that you're allowed to book anything that was available to everybody um the first day the rollout was quite late so we did less miles on the first day and stayed in a youth hostel that worked well second day i booked weird bizarre little pub i'd found on route we didn't know this at the time because <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't get into the nearest youth hostel uh and then that rounded it up to 300 over the two days and then we sort of played it by ear uh, moving forward but obviously we the third day we were averaging 10 mile an hour so it became quite tricky to try and work out where we we're going to stay yeah so let, let's go through these days then because I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to look at your Strava here and go through day one day two day three um yeah i was actually quite interested with this race is um you know once it was finished it was over kind of saw you guys had, had, had you know done a great thing transable was sharing everything uh, and it's really cool, but at, you know, and I started following Transalba, seeing kind of what was going on, and then after uh -huh. the, the the day after you guys are finished, and the day after that, and then a few more days, and a few more days after that, there's still more people finishing. So you know, there's people kind of all over the place, isn't there? Yeah, well, the, the last person finished a week after us, because yeah, and she was riding on her own, which is is excellent. I mean, the, yeah. some of the terrain was horrendous, and because we were together, kind of pushed pushed each other. You know, if I was in front of Cab on a climb, it, it made me work harder. So I, I was in the front. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> on your own, I would probably have got off and walked a bit. Well, we came across one, you know, there's a few guys we kept sort of toing and froing with. I remember on day three, stood outside some cafe somewhere. We were just trying to fill our water bottles up. Uh, Rupert shivering because I'd gone inside to go and actually do the bottles. And came out, and this other guy came along. He'd been riding on his own, and up till then, he'd been riding strong, was really positive. And he just said, "I can't do this anymore. You know, the, the weather's just beating me down." Um, he pulled into a hotel, and I think he quit the next day. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, day day one was was okay. We actually rolled out in pretty decent weather. Um, it was windy, but it was fairly sunny, pretty yeah. clear. Well, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Until probably the final hour and a half which was a climb up to a ski station uh before we dropped down the other side into a town called Braemar and um yeah it started raining and that was you'd had a couple of punctures by then didn't you yeah. so you had one on the way to the climb and then yeah. one on the downhill which is pretty grim when it's starting to get a bit dark and it's been raining for a while um we did have a quite amusing incident where this guy tried to offer us help and he pulled up in his van and he spent the first two minutes trying to he kept trying to put his window down. We kept putting the driver's window down, which was on the opposite side to where we were. <laughs> so having this slightly surreal moment where Rupert's trying to fix a puncture, I'm trying to talk to a guy through a closed window. 
Um, as it turned out, he was staying in our youth hostel, but um, we we declined the offer. We fixed the puncture, and we we eventually rolled into town. Um, but yeah, that was quite a long first day. Um, but it's one of those you're kind of riding a little bit on um, on adrenaline, and you know, there's a feel good factor when you start on this sort of adventure ahead of you. Um, the youth hostel was pretty good, although we did have a fairly noisy family next door. We didn't go to bed till gone midnight, which made for a fairly short night's sleep. Um, and then the next day was very wet and windy, although it started nice and clear. By the time I think we hit the second climb, it just it didn't yeah. stop raining for quite a while, um, which makes for a long day out. Um, and yeah, I think uh, looking at our stats, that's we managed 160 miles that day, um, but there was an awful lot of climbing on that section um, up near the Let ski station. Um, and again, it's just lumpy as you're just up and down a lot of the time, and you can't even relax on the downhill because the wind was that strong. You've been blowing all over the road, um, so that was quite quite a long day. Not helped by the fact that where we'd found the address for this place we were staying. Um, it turns out it was 15 miles down the road. <laughs> so when you think you've reached the end and you're ready for dinner, you've got another hour's riding before we actually got there. But um, yeah, that was probably what, 12 hour day, 14 yeah. hour Yeah, just looking at your stats here, 160 miles, 13,000 feet of climbing and then uh, 14, 14 and a half hours. It's a lot yeah. of time. Yeah, you, you don't do much stopping either. No, you, you talk a lot of rubbish. Uh, there's a few quiet moments, but yeah, it's um, it's one of those because when the weather closes in, you're just kind of head down, trying to get through it really. Um, and then you know, when so the what's, weather... it, what's it? What's it like when you guys are, are kind of riding together? I mean, 14 hours together is a, is a long time. Um, I mean, people don't even work that long together in a day. Uh, it's probably double the amount you work Fair together. <laughs> there was times when we didn't we didn't need to talk. Yeah, um, you're just riding. Yeah, um, it, you know, we point stuff out. We we support another lock. <laughs> yeah, all the hit, all the road up ahead, and I, yeah. I'd say, "Have you seen that up there?" And he nods and yeah. like, shake our heads and just keep going. Um, <laughs> we obviously talked a lot of crap of yeah. the first few days yeah. about everything, but then as the and race re progressed, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't need to do that much talking. It wasn't awkward or anything. We no. were just riding, just riding your bike. And, it's uh, just that comfortable silence. So, so let's go into day three then. Like, uh, this must have been like, maybe a day when it kind of all started becoming a bit more real, I guess. I think day three is when we hit the furthest northern part, yeah. wasn't it? And that yeah, was probably yeah. one of the hardest days on the bike because we were only averaging like 10 mile an hour with the wind and rain. It was really windy. It was a headwind because they picked the route to go in this direction because they know the wind comes from the west predominantly. Um, so by the time you've got, we've gone through the Cairngorms, we've hit the northernmost point, which was a place called Tong. Um, and basically you turn left because you've hit the sea. Um, and then you're know, riding along the northern coast and it was just full on headwind. It was wet. Um, and it's a really quite remote part of the country. There isn't a lot there. Um, so much so we eventually stumbled across some cafe in, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I don't know if you could call it a cafe. Well, it was like a porter cabin that'd be converted, but it sold <laughs> in cake, so that was great. Um, and yeah, tablet, which was good. Yeah, uh, and piled in there. We did actually ask them, you know, what do people do for dropping around here? And apparently there are bigger towns slightly off the route, but um, you just don't, see any shops 
um, because it's part of the the N NC five hundred, which is like the tourist trail bike path around. Um, it's showcasing the best that Scotland has to offer, so it's really scenic. But there's just not a lot of places to either fill your car up if that's what you need to do, or just buy stuff. It's really remote. So in terms of food, then, like how how are you managing that? Well, day three was a bit of an eye opener, really, because up until then we'd had feed bags with loads of snacks in so we could graze during the day and then stop where we needed to but day three sort of kind of highlighted how remote these parts of Scotland are um so we stopped occasionally for well we stopped at this cafe for some food there and then yeah yeah there wasn't it was oh the sandwich or cake so we had a sandwich and and a hot drink um and then thought we'd plow on and so much so even the downhill bits you haven't to pedal because it's that windy um eventually the rain cleared up but we're then trying to find or look for you know reasonable sized places where we might find somewhere to stay but in the end that was the night we stayed in Loch Ivor, wasn't it i think so yeah so yeah we eventually sort of found a few places on the map because we were going around a peninsula which was there was very little there um pulled into this oh, town is probably a, a loose term for it but there are a few houses and some other places the spa had shut the hotel had stopped serving food and the rest oh, yeah and the restaurant um was closing in 10 minutes and wasn't interested in any more customers so um we checked out the bunkhouse decided that probably wasn't the best option got a room in this hotel and dinner turned out to be uh, a pint of guinness and a packet of crisps <laughs> <laughs> which is just what you want after uh, uh, a 14 hour day or whatever yeah. actually we had a chocolate bar as well yeah so it sounds like pretty good prep for um for day four then because looking at looking at day four I, yeah. ideal really well day four started with a 30 mile ride for well, breakfast and i'm just looking at looking at um Rupert's notes account. here on his strava account and uh it starts off with wet and windy from the get-go possibly the hardest day on the bike ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah it didn't really improve um it was a long long day um was that the day where we got the biscuits from the belgians uh i think so yeah so we were oh, there were a few things that stuck out in terms of that pick you up during the ride and day four it did eventually stop raining probably about an hour before we decided we were going to stop um we lo- located a bunkhouse which sort of tagged onto a hotel which served food um and we were told they had places although we couldn't confirm it so we thought well we've got to ride that way anyway so we did uh but we're coming up yet another long hill into the wind and suddenly we're aware of this car slowing down beside us a hand appearing out the back window offering biscuits it was a group of belgians who just happened to be passing saw us struggling on the bikes offered us biscuits wished us good luck and drove off it was amazing. I think they, I think they were tied to the television. Yeah, yeah. So they obviously but shared we, our pain. Not going to turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. True. Could have been performance enhancing for we know. Um, but we made it to the bunkhouse. The bunkhouse was pretty busy, but we got a couple of beds. Slightly surreal setup, and the the bunks were three high, so they're packing people in. But we had oh, oh. twelve in the in the room. Yeah, which is quite noisy, really. Um, we bumped into another pair who were doing the Transalba. And it was quite funny because dinner was, and we ended up sitting next to each other. So we finished that and just, you know, in general chit chat, how's it going? What are your plans? 
And they said, oh, yeah, we're probably going to get up late and um, have a late start and then and then crack on. Next thing we know, they got up at one o'clock um, and left a couple of hours before <laughs> yeah. us. So they were clearly just giving us a, a bit of a run around. Uh, we'd already planned to leave early. Um, so we were out by quarter past three that day. Yeah, that was the earliest, earliest day we left. Because we had to make up some miles because we were technically behind schedule mm-hmm. and try and make up some some time to keep on the 150 track. And we knew that we were doing the ferries uh, on day five. So we knew we had um, at least wanted to be on the either the first or the second ferry out from the first port. Um, but as usual, that also involved a lot of climbing down there. So what was it, four hours to the ferry? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a four-hour ride to the ferry um, and then a mission. Um, I now know what it feels like to do a TT, having followed Rupert down to the ferry port, um, because we ended up getting there with about 10 minutes to spare for the second ferry, which is great. Um, quick half-hour crossing um, onto the Isle of Skye, um, where we had some lunch, and when we came out from having lunch, it was throwing it down. And I don't think it stopped for the rest of the day, did it? No. Um, I'm sure it was wet from the day before, but they were trying to while I was gone. That's how bad it was. We hadn't even had a chance to walk. Um, that was probably, yeah, that was another tough day because across the Isle of Skye was 55 miles to the next ferry port. Um, and it just felt like a really long way. It was just, you were into the wind, it was cold, it was wet. And again, we found another random cafe somewhere which was more like a bookshop, a yeah. bookshop stroke convenience yeah, store that broken down. offered us a load of milk. Yeah, which is cold. Um, but it did mean by the time we got to the ferry port, um, we weren't then going to get across the next island to the following ferry port. So we we're trying to find somewhere to stay. But the you, you think of ferry ports over here when you go across to France and it's it's very different. You know, you go down you park up or whatever, you go and get something to eat and drink. Well, we thought we'd do the same because we were quite cold by this point uh, and we knew we had 45 minutes to kill before the ferry arrived. Anyway, we got down to the ferry port. You couldn't even buy a ticket. There was just a bus shelter and a shack. Um, so we proceeded to get very cold until the ferry arrived. Uh, but another act of human kindness turned out the ferry skipper was a big cycling fan. He'd been following all the, the people coming across on the Transalba anyway, because he'd already taken a few across. And he said, oh, come up to the control room, sit in here, it's warmer. And we had a nice chat while he, he ferried us across to Tobermory, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So what about what about sleeping then? Because you, you, I didn't realise you guys were getting up so early and, and doing that. So get, what's going on with your sleep? Are you kind of sleeping super early and getting up, getting enough hours and stuff? And, and how is it feeling with the... I oh, know with the amount of sleep and the schedule you're, you're sleeping at. We we were definitely getting fatigued and tired mm. by the time we'd found places and eaten and got to bed. Looked at our phones for a little while. It was it was getting towards midnight most yeah. nights, and we'd we'd agree what time we were getting up. So we'd have between around about five hours sleep each night, depending on like the really early day. We were in bed by ten, so. But it was a it was a rubbish night's sleep to get up at three o'clock in the morning. But generally, we were up about five hours, five yeah, or six hours. You, know, you, you get off the bike, your priorities, try and get your kit dry and washed if you can. Uh, shower yourself so you warm up a bit, put some different clothes on, get something to eat, 
start charging all the stuff you need to charge for the next day. And as Rupert said, you know, half an hour, maybe an hour max on your phone, and then it's it's time to get some shut eye. So, I mean, you're what you're you're over halfway at this point, Mike. Looking at the the days you did in the end. Yeah. yeah. So day day five, um, we got up from well, we stayed in this town called Tobermory, which is right on the coast. Uh, very picturesque. Had a decent curry there, which was quite nice. Um, we had we did. Yeah, that was pretty pretty good. Uh, the youth hostel was good, so it had a proper dry room, so we could actually get our kit dry for the first time in a couple of days, which was good as well. Yeah. Um, and there was only one other person in our room, so that made for a, a better night's sleep. Still an early start the next day, but we knew we had to get a ferry um, over to Oban. We were going to meet Sarah Rupert's wife uh, for breakfast. Uh, it was quite a nice diversion. Um, so. We left pretty early to get the was it the first ferry across the second, second ferry second across ferry, yeah yeah, yeah but it turned out it wasn't actually it didn't take us as long even though it was twenty two miles we actually covered the ground pretty quickly because it was better the rain um, and the sun actually came out which is quite nice um, yeah we were thinking at miles an hour we'd need at least at least two hours because we didn't know how lumpy it would be mm. based on what we'd already ridden yeah. And we took half an hour to do the first six miles, and I thought, oh, this is going to be close. But then it kind of flattened out a yeah. bit, and we managed to get we in, into the pace, yeah. yeah. And managed to get on the extensions and tank along. So we got there with about half an hour to spare. Quite nice, given what we've been through already. Um, we had a great breakfast that Sarah cooked for us, which is lovely. And then um, we headed out from Oban. Which felt like it took a little while to get going, and then there was a bit of oh, because of how much we eat, and I reckon. Well, yeah, boy, that might have something to do with it. Yeah, bit too much climbing after a full breakfast. Yeah, every um, time we had something to eat, it seemed... yeah, bit of a routine of the uh, the event. Uh, and then there's a bit of single track. We had to get around some roadworks where they closed the road, which didn't help. Uh, that's when the sun came out. Yeah, and then uh, we were met by this herd of longhorn cattle who just, they're all quite young, so they just stood in the road looking at us. We're trying to edge around them. They're trying to follow us, and it all got a bit hairy for a while. Uh, but eventually we succeeded, um, and then it was just a long day, just trying to get some miles, dry the kid out. And a lot. Yeah, so we... We came to one lock, well, the umpteenth lock we'd seen on, on the trip. Um, and the route, rather than just sort of blip over the top with this lock, took us all the way down the length of it and then back up the other side. So it was probably, what, 25k long? It was it was a long old day. 25 miles. Oh, yeah, quite quite possibly. <laughs> uh, so much so on the way back, I, I had enough. I said, look, let's just stop here. We stopped at this hotel, had a pint. Um, <laughs> a uh, packet of crisps and suddenly felt a little bit better so um yeah we had another lumpy ride into dumbarton i think we stayed in the end. um managed to find a really nice hotel um rooms on the ground floor which is quite nice there weren't any stairs involved um and yeah so that was another 148 miles that day um but the discussion at this point is we could try and knock this out on the Sunday, therefore finishing within the week, um, which means we then don't have to ride our bike for another day or stop for another night uh, and go through the process. Because I must admit, by this stage, my backside was a little bit sore. Um, just, and that was to do no, no, just the uh, the whole thing of riding four days in the rain was uh, it was starting to take its toll. Um, 
so we kind of agreed we'd have an early start we left at half six oh. yeah so they yeah that they, they kind of put breakfast on or open breakfast early for us which is good um and yeah we thought well 240 miles left we could try and do this in one day get it done um and it was a long day 18 hours of riding 22 hours actually um on the bikes or out and about um but we met a few riders along the way somebody even heard of the trans album which is quite quite cool uh wished us good luck um then yeah we i think we finally felt we were on track when we got to Selkirk, which is just shy of the thousand miles. Um, going up and around Glasgow from Dumbarton was a little bit long-winded, but it it kind of made sense because it took you into some nice parts of the world and you avoided Glasgow. But it felt like it was a long while before we started heading across country, um, sort of in a southeasterly direction towards bigger. Um, but Selkirk in the evening felt like we'd actually made some progress. Um, we decided on there because we thought it's a big enough town, we should be able to get something to eat, uh, which turned out to be true. Uh, we had a nice pizza. Um, this was about 10 o'clock at night, and it's like, right, we've got best part of 80 miles to go. In the course of what we've done already, it's fairly small fry, but we think we can do this. What we didn't bank on is how lumpy that 80 miles was. Um, okay. so. so just to just to backtrack a second, mm. you're having pizza at ten o'clock at night, and you're about to knock yeah. out the rest of the eighty miles. Just to clarify, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it, it kind of got to the point where it's still eighty miles, but by that point we'd already done one hundred and sixty. So it's like, well, we probably can do this. It means we then don't have to stay somewhere, take our cycling kit off, put it on again another day, and ride our bikes another day. Uh, we can sleep and then relax. Um, but as I say, what we didn't bank on is the fact that it was probably the lumpiest 80 miles we've done. Um, and it's also dark, which is possibly a saving grace because you couldn't see the tops of the hills. Yeah. But we probably did two and a half to 3,000 metres of climbing in that 80 miles, which at the end, when you're just looking to get to the finish, was a little bit disheartening. It felt like we did a lot of up. Um, and there was a lot of riding to be done before we even saw Edinburgh, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, it got really cold as well. Yeah. So where we'd make time on the descent with it being dark and us not knowing the road or anything, we were, we were going down pretty gingerly. Yeah. And Cav's light didn't work. So we were just running off my front light. Just which was o- more challenging. Yeah, which was okay because there was no traffic and, and you know, it was it was light enough, but mm. it was, we just took it steady because there yeah. was cattle grids and, and various you know, livestock around. Lots of roadkill there seemed to be in there, and rabbits. <laughs> you know, we were just trying to head towards Edinburgh completely in the dark, not having a scooby what the terrain would be like. Just knowing you're climbing all the time. Uh, but eventually we came over what seemed like, I don't know, the 30th rise in the living part of the ride. Uh, and eventually you could see Edinburgh laid out in all its glory. And then the route went the other way. <laughs> <laughs> we we had a sign that said Edinburgh left 15 oh, miles. Dear. The route went right. Yeah. Went extra 30 oh, miles. Wow. It went round and round. It took a long time to actually then finish the loop um, and start to hit the outskirts of Edinburgh, by which time it was starting to get light. Um, we were in time for sunrise. Um, 
and yeah even riding through edinburgh into holyrood park took longer than we expected it just seemed like there were more hills and more road to be ridden unfortunately I'd messaged Sarah and said we'd be back about two or three o'clock in the morning, so she didn't need to come out and meet us, but it was nearly six o'clock by the yeah. time we got there. And all I got from my wife when I got back was a load of abuse for, well, what were you doing? You took so long to do that last bit. I, I was trying to stay up and you weren't finishing. <laughs> but yeah, so we eventually pulled in to, to meet the organisers who, in fairness, were meeting everyone as they finished at five o'clock on Monday morning. Okay, so how how did it feel then when you when you're coming into that last last segment? Is it kind of like a, a done thing, or you kind of still feel like you could do more? Uh, mm, there wasn't a great enthusiasm to do anymore. I think <laughs> I think because it wasn't forward to where the finish meeting point was, we kind of got a bit lost, and then because we were obviously tired yeah. and we got frustrated, we were like, and oh, we were like, where is it? Where is it? And it was literally round the houses to get to meet the two guys. And when we finally got there, it was a, quite a bit of elation, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Like, sure. oh, we're here, we found them, rather than, oh, we finished. Yeah. It was just like, oh, there they are. Right, good, that's that's it. And then they it was just like, way they shook our hands, they gave us some whiskey, and then and then that was it. Until, yeah. Until Sarah turned up a few minutes later, sort of thing. We had a bit of a chat. I mean, you know, bear in mind, these guys were Peter Pedlake where we were. Um so we had we had a little bit of a chat and then rode another couple of miles to go. Again. Yeah. Well, they thought we were going to stop over previous night so that they could obviously then go to bed also, and then realised later on early hours that we were keep keeping going. So they had to be up and ready to meet us. Mm. That's interesting you said about the, um, the the finish because yeah, you kind of expect this kind of big um, grand kind of like finale to kind of. The kind of stuff you know you might have done before, mm. but actually, from what I've noticed about some of these races you do, is actually the the finale could just be, you know, as bleak as the rest of the ride you've just done, and very quiet. And yeah, well, yeah. it's yeah, always right, a little bit yeah. of an anticlimax in some respects because, you know, we just put in a massive day, uh, which we wouldn't have normally done uh, at the end of a long week, um, and you sort of climb off the bike, shake hands, uh, you know, hugs all around flask of uh, hip flask of whiskey job done and then it's like well yeah i'm ready for bed now yeah <laughs> that's it oh that's that done then yeah what do we do now yeah <laughs> so uh, i mean how do you when you look back at the the the, the whole thing what, what do you what are your kind of thoughts so i'd definitely do it again i don't know if cav would <laughs> or whether they did I, with me i, I don't I, know I, I, i'd do it yeah I, I would do it again in a heartbeat not that same route um i just think so in some respect, a little bit of a surprise is good. You know, it's going to be hard regardless. Um, but I think it shows, you know, w- what you can do and put your mind to it. Um, and with the right preparation, you can you can crack it. Um, yeah, we had some rubbish weather along the way, but that's kind of why I asked Rupert to do this, because I thought as a pair, we'd have a, a much stronger chance. Yeah, I reckon it, it would have been tough for people doing it on their own. Yeah. I mean, not many of the solo riders finished. Uh, you know, the very strong guys and girls, uh, probably about half a dozen or so. There were seven pairs. There were only three that finished. Four ended up riding on their own. Um, so it was quite an attritional week, seven days, uh, ten days rather for some of them. Um, so, yeah, I think riding solo would have been tough, for mm-hmm. sure. And if you, if, you, um, if you were doing another, yeah. another type of event, 
you know is it anything you would you would you would look at doing mm. um um i mean personally i think you know we had a chat about this earlier actually the we were pretty pleased with what we took um we used the kit that we took um there wasn't anything that was really uh taken but not used um i think the only thing i would use differently would be get used to some um bar extensions because i didn't have any uh and watching rupert ride you just look way more comfortable having that alternative position to use um i found towards the end my wrists were getting you know had taken quite a bit of pounding from riding on the hoods of the drops so i think that ability just to change your position and alleviate some of the pressure on your arms would be great yeah, I mean, most most of the top guys use them, and yeah, a lot, see riding, why. A lot of riding on the extensions. I haven't really done anything. So there was one chap that had decided to use extensions for the first time in that race, and had to pull out after three days because he'd done his neck in. So yeah, probably the right decision for Cab not to use them because I've done a lot of time trialing, and I'm very used to that position. But it is does alleviate. The, the shoulders and the wrists quite a lot, which we didn't really think about to begin with. We thought, oh, we'd be all right. We're just riding yeah. the bikes. But you could tell that, and even on the, the tiny flat parts there were, and there wasn't very many, if, if I got on the front and I was on the extensions, then we could truck along pretty quickly, um, just making sure Cab was on the wheel. But if we had the extensions, we probably could have picked the pace up a bit more. Yeah. And maybe shaved off a couple of hours, a bit, a bit of time, yeah. but nothing major. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are already thinking about how to do. How can we do this quicker? <laughs> <laughs> we already talked about other yeah. other races. Other yeah, because originally we looked at the Transatlantic Way last year mm -hmm. as something to think about, but it didn't fit in with the other stuff we were doing. So when Cav told me about this, even without even looking at the route or anything, it was the it was the amount of miles potentially in a week I was interested in because I'd never done as much as that in a week no. it was far enough away that we could put it into whatever we we're planning for the year so it kind of slotted in quite nicely really mm. i mean the, the numbers are quite interesting um i never usually focus on the numbers because they're always quite quite boring but if you look back at these numbers that you guys were doing i mean i think even rupert when we used to go cycling in, in training camps in mallorca and stuff we'd never cover these miles in seven days you know 146 miles no, no, followed no, by no, no, 106 and then 100 another 100 100 <laughs> and then 153 then finishing off your final day with 239 miles i mean it's a crazy amount of numbers for, for riding a bike we should have probably done the bigger day at the beginning that might <laughs> worked in our favor um yeah that is a lesson learned we definitely if we were going to do something else and ride through the night we'd do that at the beginning which is what the the leaders did they were riding for over 20 hours on the first few days so they were already a good deal in in front so do you, do you guys at this point now are you guys thinking about if we did another race would you be thinking about how can we get a little bit faster how can we do things a bit more efficiently um or you still think oh, let's just cover the same amount of miles let's just cover kind of and have fun or do you actually start to think about the the, the competition side of things as well well, I think we're both fairly competitive at the best times. <laughs> so there's an element of that anyway. But I think I think the key for me is the more comfortable you are, the more efficient and faster you'll be naturally, I think. Um, I think certainly as the, the week went on, 
I was finding it harder to sit comfortably and actually get comfortable on the bike, which then naturally affects your ability just to to turn over some miles because you're constantly shifting around. Um, so I think if you could actually alleviate that, then I think that almost comes naturally as a result. We did we did suffer with saddle sores yeah. after being wet for so many days. Yeah, I think that was the key factor. We could ride the bikes. I mean, the legs ached. They leg ached every day. But it was, it, it was your bum that, yeah, was, that was worse. Inability to sit yeah. comfortably was a was a factor. And so, what about um, you know, work and because uh, you kind of both work in cycling. Uh, what was the kind of support like from people around you uh, who knew you were going to do the race? I mean, it was good. I mean, you know, we both got a lot of support from work in terms of kit, um, bikes. So you know, it wasn't for you know, we made some contacts ourselves and spoke to a few people. And people have been responsive. Um, you know, it was a case of this is what we're doing. You know, we didn't get some of the stuff for free, so we, but we got decent points yeah, on we it. We had a help. We had help. Yeah, which is good. Um, but you know, the I think the big thing for me was when we we're actually riding. Uh, we got quite a lot of messages on a daily basis. Uh, people be texting um, or just you know updating on social that you know look you guys are doing really well. Um, or you know I've been to so and so, you stopped here, etc. So that helps get you through the day um and it's just nice to know that people are taking an interest and even having gone back to work the amount of people said oh yeah we're following your progress you know i never thought dot watching was so interesting yeah um so that that's that's great and it's a side of the racing you don't normally see because normally you might be watching someone else but to know that people are actually watching what we're doing and taking an interest was really quite cool yeah awesome so what for other people that were thinking about getting into uh, doing these kind of events, what would you kind of uh, what would you kind of advice be for them? I think that if they're if they're confident to ride on their own, then they should definitely be doing some decent practice with good miles on a daily basis. You know, back to back, just to give their bodies um, that kind of pressure. You know, two. I mean, we we can all ride hundred miles a day generally, or a couple of days. But if you're doing three or four days, this is when it really really kicks yeah. in and you really have to have a word with yourself and if you're happy to do that then any any of these distance races will be fine as long as you enjoy it and have a goal in mind i think just managing the you know Cavill's getting hot spots on his feet and mm. and stuff like that from the pedals which you don't really you don't really get when you ride daily shorter distances or commuting or, or going out for a ride so there's all these things you need to manage and probably visit in your training to know how to cope with them and also just fine tuning your your kit um you know you've really got to think about what you're going to take um are you realistically going to use it but make sure you've got the bases covered you know as we found if the weather gets pretty foul um you've got enough stuff to keep you you know relatively dry and comfortable um but then enough stuff that you can then rotate that for the next day allowing the other stuff to dry out if that's what's required are you going to do one of these next year then? Because you kind of need a, a good year to kind of sign up and get ready for them like you did for this one. So I guess there's already already time in the calendar to sort of book something yet. We, we've kind of discussed bits and pieces. Um, Anything you can reveal? Probably. Exclusive? Well, <laughs> the thing is, there's, there's quite a few of them now. There wasn't yeah. as many. But there seems to be, yeah, yeah, there seems to be lots and lots of different races available and all around the world. I mean, we we talked about the Irish one, uh, um, and then there's some off-road stuff. But we're rubbish at that. We'd probably fall <laughs> off too much. Um, it might be a step too far. <laughs> so I mean, 
uh, I'd be keen to have a go at the transatlantic way. We haven't really discussed whether we do that or, but either with ourselves or elsewhere. Yeah, we uh, Paris, Press Paris. Yeah, we talked about which is a, a good thousand k's in one effort. So any anything I think that would be similar or a bit more than what we've done, we know we can cope with. All right, chaps. Well, thanks for uh, jumping on the call and, and, and sharing kind of your experience. It's pretty pretty cool to, to hear from someone actually doing it completely new and, and throwing themselves into something uh, that I've not done before. I'm, I'm, I'm super, I don't know why, but the more I kind well, of... Well, you're doing the same though, aren't you? Yeah. In a sense, I'm doing the same. And I think the more I kind of get ready to do my trip which is i mean i'm loaded if you're loaded i'm i am double fully loaded trust me um <laughs> and i mean i even noticed just doing a couple of back-to-back days at just 100k plus you kind of do start getting those niggly kind of feelings here and there so there definitely is a lot of um you know preparing your body for kind of like these consistent days in the saddle because i mean sitting on a bike in the saddle is not comfortable really anyway um but to sit and do it for a long time is um is, yeah, is yeah. something you need to get used to. Um, but yeah, I'm super like the the the, the bike packing race kind of world is is super interesting to me. Um, in fact, yeah. I actually spoke to uh, Grace, who runs the Dot Watcher uh, Dot Watcher CC website, and we talked for ages about the whole, I guess, the dot watching kind of world that's kind of developing. It's not just you're just racing your bike with yourself. It's actually people out there love watching dots moving around yeah. on the map and and uh yeah and coming out to find you so yeah i'm super super interested in the whole uh whole thing now i think it i think it's even growing from the sounds of it. i don't know about you guys but when when i was back living oh, where you guys were yeah. we never really heard about these kind of bike packing events but no, no. everywhere there was there was people touring with panniers and that but nothing nothing on this scale it was, it was interesting because one of the guys who we bumped into um Said he was looking for a B and B and eventually found one. It turns out the people who owned it were two dot watchers, um, so they welcomed him in with open arms, gave him a big meal, obviously you know allowed him to have a hot shower and stuff, um, and they were just really interested in what he was doing, having you know seen it on a screen. And then to meet someone actually doing the race brings it home a bit more. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, also at this uh, at this uh, scale as well. I mean, it's 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 a race, and you think a race is going to be like full of people at the sidelines at the finish. And really, it's not, and it's only these small people you find that kind of like seem to seem to inspire people a little bit more on the way. Mm. Well, I think that's what some people like about almost the isolation of this sort of thing. It's it's not about the fastest and the purest sense of the word. It's about people who can actually just go off and ride for long periods of time. There's still a, an element of being the first one over the line, but it's a different way of getting there. And I think that appeals to a lot more where you can be more your own person there's a bit of freedom um and you can do it in whatever way you want mm. okay boys um well is there anything else you want to add for the uh the, the bike packing crew or anyone else any thanks you want to send over to people back home well you're already home but uh people that follow the journey <laughs> uh just get out and give it a go if you're interested uh, yeah yeah lots of memories and we will and we haven't ridden that many miles in a week ever so we're looking to, <laughs> we'll be looking forward to beating that record All right, boys. Thanks for joining the show. Nice one, John. Have a good day. Yeah, nice one. Thanks, John. How good was that? I seriously enjoyed that, even though it was 6 a.m. in the morning and uh, I was sitting underneath a big duvet as well, which is what I'm doing at the moment, actually. 
Um, it's for sound. I wasn't actually in bed still. Anyway, it was super good to catch up with them guys and talk about bikepacking and race and Transalba. Um, if you want to check more of that stuff out, just go online, check out Transalba. It's their first uh, event as well. So kudos for them guys for, for putting it together and pulling it off. One of the podcasts I've got coming out, which if you're interested in this kind of stuff, might be the one I've got with Grace from Dot Watcher. So Dot Watcher CC is a place where you can find out all you need to know about bikepacking races and follow the dots and all the live updates and stuff. So if you want to check that out, um, that'll be coming out in about a week's time. Next show coming out is one I've got with Attica, uh, Sydney-based apparel kind of dudes that, that run this kind of really cool different style of, 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 of apparel you know you'll probably know them by the kit designs uh, and what they've done uh, that was super cool super cool to talk to them uh, and then there'll be me releasing uh, the next like three four five days from when i cycled down from melbourne to no sydney down to melbourne um that was all off road um kind of a bit of gravel as well i kind of did a little diary kind of thing and you can listen to that the three days i did I've also released as well, so the previous episode you can have a look at and listen to that, uh, and just hear about kind of me talking shit on the road about riding my bike. Really, um, it's all up and down. It's kind of a bit. I mean, it's kind of when I listen back to it, it's kind of like quite interesting. But um, yeah, you know, life living on a bike is 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 quite a unique experience, and I'm kind of trying to share that with you guys. Maybe you can find something useful, interesting, and inspiring out of it as well. Uh, and also go online as well and I've got loads of photos and blogs and diaries and stuff and that's all at pedalingpodcast.com so thanks for listening Um, don't forget to follow the show click subscribe give me some feedback Um, Instagram as well follow me there Pedaling Podcast and also on Facebook as well but I hope you enjoyed that show and I'll do lots more like this as well cheers